what do Australian corporate actions look like in a global context? We know that corporate actions in Australia are complex. We know that there is a big automation problem around the world in terms of manual data being sent around the industry. And so it's really exciting to be able to talk about the corporate actions landscape with specialists from the ASX, Tim Hogman and Jamie Crank, particularly in the context of a major piece of research that's going on right now, looking into the problems, challenges and aspirations that we have across the Australian industry to be able to make really meaningful impact in our corporate action process and to do a better job. So Tim, um, corporate actions in Australia is a um, hugely complex market in global terms. Um, when we did our global survey earlier in the year, um, the consistent theme across all markets, though, was very much a combined challenge of um, very reasonably, surprisingly low messaging automation. Um, and probably as a result of that, uh, a real need for kind of the hidden tasks around data kind of validation, data interpretation and things like that. Um, you know, as, as really being kind of hidden costs, if you like. How do you see corporate actions in Australia? Do you see the same issues as being prevalent? Yeah, Barney, it's an interesting view um, in relation to the market specifically in Australia. And there's probably a couple of reasons for that, which may lead to challenge, but may also lead for additional benefit and risk protection as well. So, you know, you tend to where you increase the sophistication or you try and reduce risk that, you know, that can introduce challenge, I think. And if I look back at, you know, Australia's post-trade markets, specifically in the equity space, uh, we have always been an early adopter of uh, ways in which efficiency, uh, better data provision, more timeliness of information can be provided. And uh, you look back into the early 90s where we were one of the first uh, exchanges to adopt a dematerialised market, uh, to adopt, you know, real hard fixed settlement periods, uh, to adopt DVP uh, electronically. And, you know, what came out of all of that as well and uh, the manner in which people hold their shares, um, you know, we are predominantly a name on register ownership model. Now, with that uh, comes a lot of benefits for uh, the end uh, holder of, of the asset in that uh, they have, you know, um, uh, non-negotiable rights to uh, that asset and being an equity holder in, in that company or issuer that they're, they're holding that asset. And for me, uh, that provides a lower risk in the many challenges around corporate actions um, than it does... Uh, if you were to be a holder at a beneficial second or third level ownership. Um, so, uh, but with that, uh, and I, I agree with you, that does come uh, and generate some complexity. Uh, I don't think from an issuer perspective and a corporate action perspective, Australia is completely out of kilter with the rest of the world. We do have some corporate actions uh, events that I would consider complex in Australia. And, and that tends to mean that you know, you rely on a certain level of experience, long tenured subject matter experts uh, in the corporate action processing of, you know, middle to back offices. And, um, you know, we see this in pockets. We see this as, uh, you know, a challenge in the industry from just continuing succession. But the way you deal with that risk, of course, is through standardisation and uh, through rule books and timetables um, that, you know, provide for as much standardisation as, uh, as, 
uh, as possible. But you always do get issuers who want to challenge the boundaries of a corporate actions timetable for one reason or another. That does mean, um, you know, exception to the standard. And I'm sure most global jurisdictions would find that's the case. Um, so it, it's really how do you then consider those exceptions in longer-term standardisation, I guess. I also think that, you know, uh, I talked about the timetables, and this is really important because timetables around corporate actions are generally embedded in rule frameworks. Uh, timetables around corporate actions have probably been in those rule frameworks for decades. Uh, and uh, the, the way you manage uh, more efficiency, automation and standardisation around those timetables is through technology. And you'd be aware, Barney, that one of the main uh, facets of a corporate action timetable and the reason it currently takes uh, around 20 to 25 days for an end investor to receive a dividend uh, post-announcement is because of reconciliation. And uh, the, the way uh, the, the share registry or the transfer agent is able uh, to get to a position of confidence uh, for the issuer in paying an entitlement to an end investor, um, you know, with, with no risk at all in relation to that. So uh, my sense is, you know, technology is going to help greatly in this space. Technology is going to drive... Um, and, and specifically for the intermediaries who are processing corporate actions on behalf of clients, uh, a, a more direct relationship between the issuer and the end investor and remove some of those risks that come with some of the complexity or exceptions with, with corporate action processing. But you've, you've got to consider that, you know, in our market here in Australia, the, the listing rule books have been, you know, built around technology that was built in the early 90s. We are upgrading that technology now. This is going to provide a prime opportunity for us to consider those timetables, consider the role that all the all the intermediaries in the process of processing a corporate action uh, undertake, and uh, make it a lot more efficient and, and risk reductive. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean that that's a, a real standout. Um, uh, you know, your point about, you know, 25 days end to end, and that actually based on our research is the good end of the scale. So, you know, when when we've, uh, the, the, the survey that we've been doing so far basically points to the fact that actually a dividend to your point is actually one of the most, is processing better in Australia than anywhere else in the world. Um, so that's, that's what good looks like at the moment. So as you said, there's a long way to go in terms of removing and simplifying the reconciliations piece. But And, and you take that as good and... You know, you add up all the interest foregone yeah. and, you know, you extrapolate that over 20 years of dividend payments yeah. and you extrapolate those 26 days yeah. uh, across pension funds and super schemes, et cetera, that's not an immaterial amount of interest that has been foregone. Yeah. And this is all because the need to reconcile, the need to curate data, the need to communicate to end customers and the need to manage for exceptions. Yeah. Now, technology can solve for all those four assets, the facets of, of the chain. And, um, you know, we just haven't been in a position uh, where we've invested as, a, as an industry, I feel, to address some of those concerns. 
and it's been left on the shoulders of, as I mentioned before, a number and a small number of subject matter experts in share registries, in custodians, in broking back offices to take the risk out of the equation. But that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you picture it as you as you describe, where you've kind of got the basically you and I as the pension holder, um, ultimately losing losing that kind of imputed interest every day, five days worth for every single dividend, for example. You know, you've also got you add to that the, just the simple cost of actually the, you know, the cost not only of of, of, of basically of kind of reconciling, but of of interpreting the data. Um, you know, m- moving it from system to system to system, cleaning it up, making sure it's fit for purpose, and ultimately making sure it's kind of investor ready. And that's one of the things that strikes me is in, in obviously in Australia, you've got franking, you've got other things that many people in the world absolutely love dealing with when they come to an Australian stock in a portfolio. But I think, you know, um, you know, you, you, the, 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 the cost of carrying the data alongside the imputed, as you said, the opportunity cost of the income ultimately are two huge chunks of cost, um, both of which ultimately, I, I guess, have the same conclusion because ultimately, as you said, technology um, removal of the reconciliation burden, also consistent data platform across all of them. It's almost as if you guys have got an idea in mind of where this ends up. Yeah, and you sort of you sort of put yourself, I think, in the shoes, and you have to, of both the issuer and the investor. I mean, the dividend's a good example for the investor-driven and, you know, making that a far more attractive investment opportunity. And there are lots of investment opportunities these days and people can choose to go into stocks or property or or whatever they, you know, think is, is the right place for them. You know, the consumer outcome these days, and it's driven by, you know, the, the large, you know, technology firms is one of almost real time. I mean, if I buy something online now, and that might be some clothing or some coffee pods or whatever, I can generally get them delivered to me in the next day or even the same day. I mean, that's the consumer experience people are expecting. So you need to take that consumer experience and that should be the same in financial markets. So 26 days to get a dividend, I mean, please, that that's not an, an attractive investment proposition. For an issuer, you know, 20 to 30 days to raise capital, I mean, there's not an, an attractive, inve- you know, uh, proposition for an issuer i mean we've got to look at both parts of it and um and both of those you know that's where it all happens you've got the issuer and you've got the investor one wants capital the other one wants an investment and they they have it so you just need to bring them together and you need to remove the friction around what that means to be an asset holder yeah and so what about, so without meaning to focus too much on, on, as I said, the easy bits, the dividends, what about the other end of the scale, things like spin-offs, rights issues, that kind of thing, where, you know, the, the dependency and the reliance on those subject matter experts, not only to, to basically to, to evaluate, but also to interpret what's going on. From a workflow perspective, you know, how do we make a dent on that side of the industry? Because obviously that's the kind of thing where there's much, much more recourse to the PDF, much more recourse to kind of... Um, other information. What's the workflow on that side? Do you think that we can really that we can really aim to address? Yeah, what what we have done in Australia is is we've um, put the onus on the issuers to provide the information to 
the industry in, in a standardised form. Uh, we've done that through the, driven, uh, the provision of templates uh, for which issuers then um, have boundaries in which they can, I guess, lodge corporate events that are compliant with our listing rules timetable. Uh, time so we've tried to make it as easy as possible for the issuer to provide that information in a standardised format. Uh, and of course, once you've got that, things like straight through processing become, um, you know, far, far more achievable. But you do get complex events that become very hard to standardise. And I think this is where you're getting at. And, uh, you know, some of the prescriptive requirements of issuers when they announce uh, events uh, become quite challenging. And I'll give a few examples of those in, in a minute. But the we've sort of walked you know, work to a, the old 80-20 rule uh, of coming into play. And so if you can automate the majority and accept that there's going to be a minor uh, minority of some exceptions or manual processing. Now, that's still not idea, but we get it. So in Australia here, we think we've managed to achieve around 93% of straight-through processing of corporate action volume and notification, uh, which I think is, you know, a, a pretty significant outcome. Where we see complex events um, and where we see um, more detailed analysis required post the announcement from an issuer is uh, where you may see that there's a connection to a, a product that might be listed or unlisted, uh, where there might be a delisting attached uh, to some form of the corporate event, uh, whether the event is considered... Um, you know, an official event or, or a supported event, uh, whether it does comply with the listing rules or there has been a waiver granted. Uh, and, and waivers are something that, you know, every um, market infrastructure would obviously consider, but also be very prudent about not wanting to create a precedent in, in such. So, um, you know, because I think when when you grant waivers, there's that huge downstream impact of both the you know the trading markets and the post trading markets as well in managing and have to deal with that. So um, you know there's a number of reasons that drives you know some of the the non-standard or non-STP capability. But you know our aim is always to obviously STP and automate as much as possible. Um, our challenge is um, in trying to understand that. I guess that 7% and the impact on our intermediaries and as to whether there's a, a cost benefit in challenging and trying to automate that uh, as far as we can. Because there comes a point there where, you know, a, a one in two or three year type of event, you may have to accept that the risk with that in, in processing that manually. Yeah, no, it's, it really makes makes a lot of sense that there's a kind of curve, isn't there, of kind of at the end of the day, you know, there's, I suppose it's a flattening curve where you have very, very high returns for, you know, you can get to your 93% quite quickly, but then every percentage point that you go up from there is probably is, is, is hard work in terms of chiseling away at, as you said, events that are very hard to standardise and, 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 yeah, and keep changing, I guess. Yeah. When you look at, you know, the ways of standardisation, uh, you know, we've moved our market here in Australia to ISO 20022 and that in itself was a huge uplift and, um, you know, this was a certainly a requirement because, you know, we didn't want to be a bespoke jurisdiction where there was this, 
you know, specific proprietary type messaging in which, you know, people received and had to comply with and had to support with technically uh, because that doesn't do you any favours now that it's a pure global economy. And, you know, in fact, it's an inhibitor. And uh, I go back to, you know, patting ourselves on the back when I mentioned before that we were an early adopter of dematerialising the market. But almost in doing that, um, you're breaking the standardization of how your global investors, which are your most significant, uh, interact with you. And the cost of interacting with you uh, becomes, you know, more than within other jurisdictions. And I've even heard, you know, uh, customers say to me, oh, it's all well and good that you're 10 to 20 years ahead of the rest of the world. But for me, it's a problem. It's a cost. Uh, I want you to dumb your service down almost yeah. and bring it back because, I need these people here in Australia supporting, uh, technically managing this uh, because it's not the same as it's done in, you know, the rest of the world. Uh, yet it is more efficient and it is more risk adverse, but it doesn't help out from a cost perspective yeah. or a risk perspective, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is the, as you say, the great thing is that the, in deploying a, a 2022 message structure that actually has the issuers really bought into to delivering this, you know, properly logicized information. I mean, your your immediate reaction is is this is a panacea, this is everything's going to be great, but ultimately you've still got to run that through a 20 year old infrastructure to actually get it, you know, in and out and out to the investor in in some reasonable time. Um, and you know, the data model of that system is probably not even Swift based. I'm guessing. So, I mean, you mentioned the idea of the challenges of, of people coming to you and, and kind of asking you to dumb it down. I mean, how does this play out for the next few years? Obviously, there's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of deployment, testing, and so on and so forth. You know, if you think of the actual back office, you know, the average back office of a, of a you know, custodian broker or a, or a, or a fund manager, um, what do you see the, the, the changes happening to that part of the organization, you know, in the back office over the next few years in terms of, the results of the changes that you're bringing out? The challenge in all markets and the challenge in our market, specifically in Australia, is it's a very diverse market of users. So there are lots of different types of participants in, in our industry. You've got global financial institutions, which everyone knows really well. They have a higher use case of global standards and automation, and they have budgets and investors and resources to achieve that. And they're in a very, you know, competitive game of margin and, and they need to drive these outcomes. Then we have, you know, domestic place-based players as well. And they can be large, they can be retail-based and so have lots and lots of end customers that they're managing and dealing with. And, um, you know, then we have, you know, a tail of customers where, um, you know, I would say post-trade processing is not so much about standardization or automation. It's just about, you know, making their customer aware, making them, um, you know, in whole when, when something does happen and, and being able to manage that customer relationship. So when, when you're managing across a, a diversity of, of stakeholders, it's, it's, it can be quite challenging. Especially, it strikes me that it's one of the challenges is that, you know, we're, we're doing all of this whilst we're driving faster and faster. You know, if you look at the last couple of years, 
the you know you've got more market volatility so more sick lending you've got more more transactional volumes going through the machine every day so we've got a growing kind of body of of well, basically growing volumes and at the same time we've got to basically re-engineer the process and move away from kind of legacy towards this and it strikes me that that it, that it's that journey that's the complexity it's a short-term problem but ultimately it's a migration issue i guess and i think until you have sort of trigger events and a trigger event might be a huge loss in the market from a participant who has failed to, to take an action or has borne the consequences of not having standardised data or have missed a redemption date or et cetera. Or you have something like, you know, the whole pandemic situation where the whole workforce was re- moved to remote and the processing of corporate actions has always been done by teams working together bringing bits of information together to, to get and, and manage risk, you move that whole walk for, workforce off remotely. And certainly something that came to light here very quickly in Australia was there was a bunch of manual stuff that happened around corporate actions that needed to be addressed. And they were simple things like wet signatures on acceptance forms. And could we get issuers to amend their constitutions to accept electronic signatures? Uh, They were things like, you know, uh, the lodgement of DRPs or BSPs or rights issues. Now, you know, this was part of our, our program of work for the current replacement of our equity system here in Australia using, you know, smart contracting language and DLT. But that was a day two consideration that that didn't have enough impetus from the industry to have in day one. Well, the trigger of the COVID and working from home brought all that in and, and we had this great demand from the industry. Gee, we've seen all these risks. We didn't realise how they were going to play out. We've got a market that's just... Um, going, uh, you know, hell for leather around capital raisings, et cetera, because of the volatility in the market around the pandemic. I'm trying to manage this remotely. I've got a bunch of manual processes I could do while I was on site and, and manage effectively. And they might have included receipt of faxes. You know, that that's how some of this stuff is still processed. Um, and, uh, you know, there was this great demand and and call on the exchange to bring all this stuff from day two into day one, which we've done now. And so, you know, we've built in a lot of automation around uh, corporate action, election and events and inquiries, which is really important as well. And, uh, you know, once again, it took a trigger event to do that. It'll take a trigger event of a large customer losing, you know, a significant amount of money and having to make a customer whole. It'll be a trigger event. I've ended up in Supreme Court uh, giving evidence around, you know, a simple thing of, there was a um, a number transposed incorrectly on a rights uh, entitlement form, yep. and the cost, you know, of that, um, the way that was processed uh, through, um, you know, the settlement cycle during a corporate event, uh, was challenged in court because yep. of the the ramifications of of the loss. So, you know, it often takes events, as we all know, to prioritise work. I think the the whole COVID and working from home thing has been one of those trigger events and has made people really rethink about uh, the risk they're bearing. Yeah. And we're also seeing that playing out, Barnaby, in the, in the unlisted market now. Mm-hmm. So the equity market itself is is quite advanced and there's been investment and resourcing piled into that over the last few decades. The unlisted market that isn't standardised Although companies like Calistone have have stepped in and done a good job of trying to standardise, you know, messaging flows and and the ability to 
to send and receive different protocol messages. But, you know, there's no real rule book. There's no standardization of how things are done. So yep. there comes great risk for people. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. And thanks so much for running through that. From 25 days to get a corporate action payout to huge, great court case, you know, challenges. You know, the corporate action problem is clearly bigger and wider than I think any of us really realize. So thanks so much for running us through that. So, Jamie, um, one of the things that really came out of the survey in terms of what to do about corporate actions is the fact that um, in the short term, the biggest single option that people are turning to in Australia is adding additional headcount, um, which seems kind of counterintuitive over the last few years. But then beyond that, people are looking to turn to new data sources alongside new software systems to actually help kind of receive and process events. So there's kind of a, a little bit of a roadmap forming there. But on this point about adding people. Um, how do you find that? And how do you react to that in terms of, you know, we've got retention issues, massive staff turnover, all the experiences of the last couple of years. What, what does that stat say for you? Yeah, look, it, it, it doesn't surprise me is the first thing to say. And I, and I believe you're absolutely correct in your characterization there. So historically, I guess the, the processing of corporate actions has been a very manual and, and labor intensive exercise. It's been fraught with operational risk and, and lack of processing efficiency. And to a certain degree, people aren't really working off a consistent golden source of data. Now, this has been um, throughout the life cycle of the process. I have to say, even as an exchange, a decade ago, we were still um, dealing with um, you know, paper-based um, processes and in-trays across multiple teams. And that was the same in, in the data vendors and also added our end customers as well. Now, as an exchange, ASX has sought to address this by, by working with market stakeholders to introduce a new straight-through process for the capturing, processing, and disseminating of corporate actions, uh, with the eventual publication of the data actually being disseminated to the market via an industry-standard ISO 20022 SWIFT messaging format. Now, obviously, we believe then we've corrected that lack of a true golden source of reliable corporate actions data, which allows our customers to streamline um, you know, exactly how they manage their operations of corporate actions. Now, we do believe not only will that negate the requirement to add more headcount within customers, but we also believe it will um, added, so will provide the added benefit of allowing firms to actually redeploy existing headcount um, to more content-rich and complex areas of their business. Mm. So moving away from yeah the low-value stuff, which is just consuming and consuming people generating risk, and moving them towards the high-value, the complex events that we seem to struggle with so much. And so if that's the short-term piece, so ultimately, hopefully, we negate the need for adding people. Longer term, this idea of data and software kind of both both being the kind of the three-year priorities for a lot of people. How do you feel the two go together? I mean, which one needs to go first, kind of chicken and egg style? Because um, obviously, you know, you need good data to put in the system, but you also need a good data, a good system to receive the data. Absolutely. No, no, it's a great question. So again, just if we characterize it in terms of our experience, I mean, ASX as an exchange, we're going through a body of work at the moment, which is really focusing on get, getting closer to our customers and improving and digitizing workflows. Now, you can see that's by what we've done with corporate actions straight through processing and also what we're planning to do with key systems such as Chess, with a project which goes live in April 2023. 
what we've been doing is investing in broader data capabilities. Uh, you may have seen we've recently developed a new data analytics system called Datasphere, which launched quite recently. Datasphere is specifically tasked with making previously unseen data sets available to the marketplace. But what it's also doing with some of that data is it's trialing artificial intelligence applications and also leading technologies to transform the way we capture process and disseminate our data sets. So to your point, Barnaby, you know, data is key in the decision-making process for us, the market and our clients, but it cannot act as a driver by itself. We really do need to develop the systems and tools to make use of the data and drive effectively better and more informed decisions. And this is one of the reasons why ASX is investing in new cutting-edge technologies such as Datasphere to add the system capability to the data assets we currently manage and offer to the marketplace. So change in Australia um, seems to be very, very difficult um, in terms of the fact that most people in Australia look at the corporate action, the reasons why they cannot automate their corporate actions and see it as being, uh, see the challenges as being more more difficult, more compelling than, than elsewhere in the world. So, you know, that means that the obstacles for people to make uh, change are much higher. So therefore, what do we say to that person who's struggling away with, with, you know, trying to build a business case for change, trying to realize change? It's a long and complicated process. What, how do we break this down, you know, in terms of the concrete steps that they should be taking on Monday morning to actually to get this stuff um, impacted um, and, and, and kind of live? Yeah, makes sense. So, so look, I think what we'd recommend to customers is, is first of all, recognizing there is an issue and there's a more effective way they can be managing the processing of corporate actions. So I think that recognition then leads hopefully to action. And, and certainly in terms of looking at the solutions that are out there, that clearly I'm going to be slightly biased and say the, the ASX's new market data product that we have, the STP product, really can lead to genuine business enhancements in terms of increasing operational efficiencies, uh, decreasing operating risk, and really uh, leading to a, a, a just a, a whole better way of managing the corporate action processes. And that can actually lead to real business benefit as well. So it can lead to our, our customers effectively delivering a better value service to their end customers, will allow them to, to retain them, their customers will value them more. And obviously, potentially in a more competitive environment that we all live in these days, it may actually lead them to uh, picking up more customers as they're known in the marketplace for the quality of the service they can provide to the end customer. And certainly, if we look back at some of the early adopters of the ASX corporate action service, we know by talking to them that they've managed to automate around about 75% of existing manual processes that were dominating what they did on a day-by-day -day basis. So they've really seen some true benefits there. And actually, again, harking back to one of your early questions, their uh, staff now are able to focus on more complex, content-driven, value-added processes rather than simply having to rekey in simplistic information that underpins the manual process of corporate actions. So we've really seen the benefits out to the marketplace. So again, if I was to call a customer and advise them on Monday morning, I'd say recognize is a better way of doing it, recognize there are solutions out there, and potentially talk to people like ASX. Come and talk to us. We can talk you through the product and we can talk you through how it's actually going to add value to your processes and ultimately your business. Absolutely, Jamie, and thanks so much for running through that. So across 
data and analytics, people really need to be taking a new angle on corporate actions. And hopefully off the back of this, they know to reach out to you, to others, to be able to start that conversation and start driving that transformation across the industry. So thanks very much, Jamie. Thank you so much for listening to this VX Insight podcast. And we really hope that it's got you excited and interested in the whole question about corporate actions in Australia. In the new year, we're going to be releasing a market handbook that goes into real detail about how we can drive meaningful change in Australia, what kind of challenges we're facing and what the business case is for meaningful transformation and automation in this critical space. If you'd like to reach out in the meantime, please contact us at The Value Exchange and we look forward to speaking with you in the new year.